you could wedgie any historical figure, who would it be? Oh, man. <laughs> I would probably say, uh, I would say John Rockefeller right now because of the book I'm reading. Uh, so, you know, you know, Prohibition obviously shut down the whole alcohol industry in the United States. I'm reading like a textbook right now, and the whole intro is about how a lot of prohibition was actually to shut down fuel alcohol. And John Rockefeller used morality, you know, to say it was because of drinking, but it shut down the entire fuel alcohol industry as well, which allowed, you know, John Rockefeller started Standard Oil, which is, you know, what Exxon's from, which, uh, you know, pretty much every giant American oil company is actually from John Rockefeller at some point. Uh, so probably him. He seems like a real prick just all around. Uh, <laughs> I can't debate that. And he'd be shocked. He'd be so offended. <laughs> See, it's not proper. You would think the low-hanging fruit for this question would be Hitler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, that's I, like Hitler deserves more than a wedgie. I mean, it, at least, probably. I <laughs> so I think. See, it's a toss-up for me either between Columbus or a gentleman that's still alive, Kim Jong Un. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. See, <laughs> Columbus would be funny because. The idea of giving someone a wedgie that's wearing pantaloons already, yep. that's pretty cool. Uh, obviously, he's dead. So, yeah. Kim Jong-un, though, I feel, like, I feel like that's where it's at. I think that would be the most humorous one. Yeah. And I feel like that's something you've got to do while he's on television. <laughs> you've got to go for the atomic Just... wedgie of Kim Jong-un. It's <laughs> the only way people are going to see it and know what happened. Right. Just, just humiliate him on, on North Korean state TV. <laughs> obviously, it would be the last thing I did. Oh, yeah. yeah. But one hell of a way to go out. <laughs> Absolutely. So I should probably do an intro. Hello there. Welcome to episode 16, I believe, of Stories from a Bar. I'm your host, Chris Osborne. And for this episode, I'm hanging out at the relatively new Oligan. Am I saying that correctly? Yep. yep. Uh, Oligan Distillin here in Latham, New York. I'm hanging out with Sean O'Keefe, one of the men responsible and owner and heavily involved with Oligan Distilling. Oh, cheers. How's it going, Sean? <laughs> yeah, so so we're at Oligan Distilling. Yep, we opened to the public back in February. Had our grand opening last Friday. Yeah, I've kind of, I've personally been the driver behind a lot of it. Um, I'm the only person working here full time at the at the moment. I have two business partners who who work with me, and then a couple investors or silent partners. But I guess I'm really you know kind of the the main driver behind this. I'm the one working the bar. If you ever come <laughs> by, you know, I got a bad haircut. I got a cool hat. So I can vouch for yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it's Country Malt Group. I'm, I'm. It's the guys we buy barley from. Nice. Yeah. About to make a whiskey with their barley, actually. Fantastic. Yeah. So first off, thanks for taking the time to hang out and chat with me, man. I'm sure it's been busy since trying to get this place up and running and off the ground and everything. Yep, yep. Working nonstop. Did a bunch of landscaping today, actually. <laughs> and it was freaking windy today. It was windy, yeah. yeah. Secondly, uh, what are you drinking there? I see... Uh, uh, kind so of, oh, slightly double fisting here. Yeah, I'm drinking two drinks right it, now. It is Friday. Uh, yeah. So I got the Oligan vodka on my left. Our vodka is a corn vodka. And I was just describing to those customers who just walked in, uh, you know, we cut the podcast and are restarting. We did take a quick little break. But vodka traditionally, you know, in places where they drink a lot of vodka, uh, Eastern Europe, you know, Russia, Finland, vodka is traditionally, they drink it straight. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here. Uh, We're making a corn vodka. And it gives it kind of a syrupy sweetness and a, and a drinkability. <laughs> oh, Bud Light doesn't have that copyrighted, right? <laughs> we're all going to get sued. Ah, you'll be fine. Damn it. But we're making a corn vodka. Most American vodka is wheat vodka. And most of it tastes the same. It has that rubbing alcohol flavor. And it makes it difficult. You know, Americans' goal a lot of the time is to cover up the taste of vodka. Vodka is kind of used more as a means to an end than a, than a drink unto itself in the guess, U.S. Uh, yeah, I kind of guess that it depends on your mood as well. Yeah, yeah, it depends on who you are, too. But just in my experience, but our vodka is a much more drinkable vodka. You know, I have a shot glass in front of me, and I'm, I'm sipping it. It's a, it's a sipping vodka. I did take uh, a shot of the vodka while we took our little break, and it was a lot smoother than I thought it would be. And... I say that only because I don't drink a lot of liquor, so this could go off the rails for me real quick. Yep. But <laughs> yep. uh, and that, all again, we don't condone uh, 
you know, drinking to excess. No, not at all. No drunk driving. Nope. Please. Yeah, please, don't do it. Everyone. Do everyone not do listening, it. If you take one thing away from this, don't drink and drive. No. Um, uh, and what else do you have there? And on my right is uh, actually Yankee Distillers uh, Wheat Whiskey. Yankee Distillery. Yes. So they're based out of Clifton Park. They're, they're making the best whiskey, I would say, in New York State. I mean, their rye whiskey is one of my favorite whiskeys. Just blanket statement, favorite whiskeys I've, I've ever had. The only things that are better than it are like scotch, you know, because I'm particular to scotch. But Yankee Distillers are killing it. They just won an award for this wheat whiskey. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have batch one. Uh, so check them out as well. Uh, it's cool because obviously you guys just opened. So really, your only products right now are the vodka and the gin that just you just started selling, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. cool that you have some other local, you're repping some other local places here as well. Yeah, now. so we're carrying uh, local whiskeys and then um, uh, cherry brandy from Harvest Spirits. Just in case someone wants an aged, an aged drink, uh, a brown liquor, as it were, or a uh, brandy. Yeah, you know we can't. We obviously can't do that. It's going to be a couple of years before we have any whiskey because we're going to do it right. Yep. You see distilleries opening up and they like have a two-year whiskey within like a month, and you're like, where, where are you really buying that from? <laughs> the answer is they're buying it from some wholesaler in the Midwest. They're a bunch of bunch of schmucks. But we're we're doing it. We're doing it right, and we're doing it honestly. As is Yankee, which, you know, we, I really appreciate. As is Harvest Spirits. You know, there's a lot of people doing it right. There's some people who are a little less honest about it. So we do have the vodka and the gin. And we're coming out with a strawberry vodka and a raspberry vodka within the next month. It'll be our vodka as the base. Well, no, actually it won't. It's going to be a grape base instead of a corn base. Meaning it will be gluten-free. And we're going to infuse it with uh, real strawberries and real raspberries. It's going to have beautiful color to it. It seriously tastes like candy. It's really, really incredible stuff. I'm I am excited. intrigued. Yeah. I think it's going to be, we're, we're going to sell out of it, I hope, very quickly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good summer drink. It's a great summer it's, drink. It does I mean, sound, it already sounds, sounds delightful. I started out with I'm the... I'm excited g- personally, so I can drink it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> let alone who's ever going to buy it, you know. <laughs> I started out with the gin fizz, which was delightfully refreshing. Mm. And I followed it up with a Dirty Ollie, one of my, honest, I remember as a kid getting what I thought was Shirley Temples. Like I had an idea of what they were, but as a kid, I didn't realize it was basically supposed to be an alcoholic drink. So of course they were virgin. Well, there's a distinction. The the Shirley Temple has no alcohol. Uh, My understanding, if you add vodka, it becomes a Dirty Shirley. Okay. Which is where the Dirty Ollie came from. Oh, Uh, all right. Ollie is the name of our, of our mascot. Ollie the Oligan, you know, he's this excellent looking cartoon character. He's a, our beautiful boy as we describe him. <laughs> uh, I really like the design and we'll talk uh, a little bit more about the name in a second, but who came up with the mascot design? Um, so that was my friend, uh, Mike uh, Vaderame. Am I saying that right? I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, the Silent Salesman, uh, he's a graphic designer from Brooklyn. I highly recommend him. Uh, you know, he was able to copy, I told him to copy the style of, uh, you know, kind of Betty Boop era cartoons, and he, he absolutely nailed it. So, Mike, it's V-E-R-D-I-R-A-M-E. Um, there you go. People, yeah. got the, people yeah. have the spelling so they can find it. Yeah, Silent Salesman. <laughs> really recommend him. He's based out of Brooklyn. Uh, reasonable rates. He'll make, uh, he'll make graphic <laughs> designs for you. Nice. I caught, you were on NPR doing an interview. Go ahead, take your sip. I'm... Asking my questions. <laughs> Don't want to interrupt your vodka drinking here, of course. No, that's fine. You were on NPR not long ago, and I was able to, I was talking about this earlier, able to catch part of the interview before my computer cut off and I was streaming it. Uh, what was the experience like, actually, being on NPR? Uh, I'm always curious how that... Yeah, it was... Obviously, it's not as professional as this. Yeah, but. yeah. No, it was super amateur. There was a, a fire in the break room. No, no, it was great. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it, it was pretty interesting because we showed up uh, like 15 minutes before we were on air with boxes, you know, of liquor and mixers so we could make drinks for everyone. And they kind of sat us down in the studio and they didn't give us any prep. We were there with uh, Ray Graff and Joe Donahue and uh, Joe's friend Bill, who was actually in here, what, Wednesday? I think Wednesday afternoon. Great guys, all of them. Joe's been in here previously, which is why we were invited on. 
but they kind of just sat us down in the studio and talked to each other, and then we were on the air. You know, it was kind of crowded. It was hard to make drinks in there because there's, there's all these <laughs> wires and microphones. But it's really casual. You know, you don't realize that you're talking to a huge audience. You're just kind of drinking. They definitely commanded the interview, which was really interesting. Like, you could just tell they were, like, such professionals. Like When you get paid to do it, you better be good. Yeah, yeah, they were very good at it. Just, uh, yeah, just really in charge of the conversation, which was which is interesting. No, they're great guys. Yeah. They're very <laughs> professional. Yeah, it's a cool experience. Not that professional though. Cause I mean, we got hammered on the radio. You know? it's, <laughs> it is hilarious kind of listening to it. Cause you guys are clearly drinking and sipping everything. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. But one, definitely the story behind the name is, was something I found interesting as a soccer fan myself. Oh yeah. Do you watch a uh, premier league? I UPL? catch it when I can. I don't yeah. have cable, but basically just internet. Yep. So I don't watch it as much as I used to. But. Yeah, yeah. I normally go down to uh, the beer garden. Yeah. Because I also don't have cable, <laughs> which is cool because if I do want to watch sports, you know, you end up at a bar instead of, you know, sitting by yourself. It's more fun kind of at more the bar. Fun. It's more fun. Yeah, exactly. It costs more, but it's more fun. Ah, it's worth it. <laughs> what else are you spending money on? Come on. It's true. I only need food and right? sustenance. <laughs> All I need is basic sustenance and large amounts of alcohol. And soap. Yeah. <laughs> Soap. I don't want to smell. <laughs> gotta have soap. You gotta keep it uh, respectful. So, how do we come up with Oligan uh, Distilling? So, it goes back to this uh, uh, United player, Manchester United, uh, Eric Cantona. Are you, have you been a United fan? Yeah, yeah. I kind of fell into it. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't followed the Premier League my whole life, but uh, I have a lot of friends who do. So, when I started getting more into it, you know, most of my friends were United fans, probably from United's glory days, you know, back, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago when, uh, well, maybe more recently, but when, uh, you know, Sir Alex was, was in charge and all of yep. that, you know, really at their, at their heyday. Um, See, I would, when I've watched Premier League, I've generally root for whoever Man U is playing against. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just it's disappointing. It you know, felt like so. they had that kind of reputation. They did. They did. Much less so now. It's really... The, the club has really kind of, kind of bottomed apart. out a little bit. Yeah, they're spending a lot of money for not a lot to show. You know, the Spurs are a good alternative. <laughs> Champions League this June, June 1st. Champions League championship. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, uh, the name. So, the name comes from uh, Eric Cantona, who was a player for United back in the 90s. And uh, he got a red card during a game and... Some, uh, you know, soccer hooligan uh, was yelling all kinds of derogatory stuff to him, and he ended up uh, jumping. He, he drop-kicked the fan, you know, <laughs> over the fence. Yep, just a flying kick. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, I have and, to look that one up. Yeah, you should. It's not high quality, but... See, I'm a hockey fan, and there's the old stories of hockey players jumping into the crowd yep. after being heckled just one too many times. Yep, but- yep. It was, you know, a flying kick, and he started hitting the guy. <laughs> but it kind of tanked his career. You know, he was banned. He was banned from the league, and I don't think he ever really got back to where he was. Uh, and after he retired, he became an actor, actually, so he still has a career. But he had a, an interview where he said the highlight of his career was kicking uh, Z Oligan, which is, <laughs> which is where our name came from. Uh, so uh, Hooligan, just with a heavy accent. Yeah, he's a French. He's a Frenchman, and has a French accent. <laughs> Yeah, when he kicked his Zial again. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's obscure, you know. Uh, no, but that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. By the way, kudos on how you spell your name, Sean, the S-E-A-N way. Oh, yeah. Because that's my middle name as well. Oh, and yeah. I always say the proper way to spell it since it's Irish roots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my last name, too. I have two Fs in it, which is, you know, the Irish way to spell it. And it's a constant... Did you come from like a really Irish family or is it just... Um, Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I have seven siblings. Uh, I was raised, you know, Irish Catholic. Yeah, that sounds Um, like that kind of goes hand in hand right there. Oh man, I want (laughs) to... Yeah, we'll leave it at that because I'm probably going to send this to, uh, you know, family members. uh. (laughs) A lot of drinking, a lot of drama, you know, full, full Irish American experience. Have you been to Ireland? I have been. Uh, really? I was there when I was 12. So it's on my bucket list. If I yeah. only go one place the rest of my life, it's got to be the motherland. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was really beautiful. I've traveled a fair amount, and it was, it's really unique in its beauty, I would say. 
it's cool. You'll be driving around and, you know, there's all these hills and then there'll just be like an abandoned castle in the middle of a field, you know, which is like nothing just, around it. Uh, you know. Everyday occurrence. Yeah. Yeah. You can really, I mean, you can just walk up to it and like hang out if you want. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's a cool place. Yeah, I'd love a... to go back as an adult too. You know, I yeah, went, you know, twelve. You said, yeah, yeah. You, can you know, go back as an adult and get a better ex- full experience. Yeah, I want to be able to drink, right? Exactly. With, uh, yeah, like, that's half the, what ninety percent of the reason anyone not from Ireland goes there, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's it's beautiful, and uh, I hear nothing but good things about the Irish people. So, uh, if I had a chance, I would be back in a second. You're a Lobo guy, right? You're from the air general area? Yep. Did you go to school around here and everything? Um, so I went I went to high school at LaSalle Institute, which is a, a all-guys uh, Catholic military school, in case anyone is not familiar with it. Interesting. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Uh, <laughs> a lot to say about that, but this probably isn't the place. Uh, yeah, and then I, I went to... Uh, Put that one off the record if you want. Yeah, yeah. I went to college out at Colorado College in Colorado Springs. Nice. State of Colorado. <laughs> and I mentioned this as we were talking the last time I was here. I've been to Colorado Springs. It's yeah. beautiful out there, man. Yeah. I was yeah. getting headaches from the altitude. It took me a few days yeah. to adjust. That's but, right. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's amazing out there. Yep. A lot it of is. hippies in Boulder. That's for sure. A lot of hippies in Boulder. It's probably even oh, twice as many that. now. This was before, that was before yeah. pot was legal, so. Yeah. Well, now uh, magic mushrooms are decriminalized in Denver. I saw that. That's pretty interesting. Uh, uh, I can't wait to see how that ends. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, they're not—they're not for sale. You can't legally sell them, but they're no longer. Is it the kind of thing where other places were getting around trying to sell a pot by selling a cookie and saying, "Here's a free gift"? That's a good question, actually. I know that you know they're not prosecuting possession, so I wonder. If people are going to do stuff like that. I figure that's the way around the law. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did, I'm not encouraging anyone. I, maybe I'll edit that part out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, I do apologize. If there is any echo, we were talking about this. It's a nice open room. It's a beautiful room, but it is a little bit of an echo at the moment. Yep. Well, we work on, well, you work on putting up some, what were they called? It's like noise, noise Yeah, just noise cancelers. But. So, you went to LaSalle, went out to Colorado for college. What was your major? Environmental science. That's right. What yep. got you interested yep. in environmental science? Jeez, uh, because it's really, really important. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'd say it's the single most important thing, you know, to our continued survival as a species and civilization. Well, uh, <laughs> that was before you even started a business that relies on corn and other crops and stuff, right? I assume. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. It just it always interested me. Grew up watching a lot of you know uh, Steve Irwin, Crocodile Hunter. Oh man, huge inspiration. Great guy. Yeah, I mean, he was one of the only celebrities where I was like genuinely like, man, when he died, <laughs> just yeah, tragedy. You know, National Geographic too. I just grew up like loving nature and. Nice. Decided to pursue yeah, it. Yeah, that doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't seem like that happens as much these days as it does for kids. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So, did were you out in Colorado like all four years for college? And... Yep, yep. Well, I did spend a semester studying marine biology. Really? Yeah, Woods Hole, Massachusetts. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. The marine biology. Actually, the shirt I'm wearing right now was our uh, was like our our shirt for our semester. Nice. You know, it was like uh, eleven people. 11 students, you know, were part of like a semester in environmental science, they called it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. It was a really, it was, it was a very intense experience. It was, you know, probably like grad school level work to the point. It's not um, George Costanza from Seinfeld just saying he's a marine biologist. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I did get to reach my hand into a whale's blowhole. Did you really? No, no. Oh, (laughs) you led me on there, you son of a bitch. (laughs) The mighty fish. Oh, man. The Mighty Mammal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So you went from Massachusetts out to Colorado. I graduated with environmental science degree. Came back to New York straight after, or did you spend more time out there? Um, no, I came back, like, right after. Yeah, I tried to find, like, a job out there and couldn't really find one and didn't really have the money to stay out there. It's not a cheap place. It was more I couldn't really find a job. Um, it's always critical. Yeah. I have a lot of family in this area, too. Like... I don't know. It didn't make a lot of sense at the time to like stay out there. You know, it's just like 
I would have just gone out there and smoked a bunch of pot and like skied. It would have been great. It would have been great. It would have been fun. I don't know. I go back and forth. I should, you know, whether I should just abandon everything and go back. Oh, obviously, once this place gets really well known, you just open a second location out west in Colorado. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I do have a friend. He runs an ice cream shop in the Hudson Valley, and he's open during the summer, and then in the winter, he lives in a camper out in Colorado. Does he really? And does a bunch of, like, backcountry snowboarding. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Mike Weir, shout out to Mike Weir. I believe it's a Weir's so ice cream in the Hudson Valley. So he's busy enough three seasons of the year to not work in the winter and just go snowboarding in Colorado? Yeah, essentially. Wow. I think he he probably, I think he picks up some work out there. Like he's been like an instructor, I think, at points. It's like that's some serious ice cream money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure, <laughs> but he's killing it. I want to know more um, about that one. Yeah. He showed up, so he showed up. He was like, a, we had our opening party last week. And we're sitting here, and we just had normal customers in who weren't aware it was the opening party. Uh, and, like, probably an hour before it was, uh, you know, slated to begin, uh, this RV drives in. And we're like, who, who is that? Who's showing up in an RV? Awesome. Yeah, and it was, it was my buddy Mike. Had, like, driven from, I guess he was back in, in the Hudson Valley. It was awesome, though. It was a really great, uh, you know, uh, surprise. It's definitely an interesting way to live. Yeah, yeah. He's an interesting guy. He's, he's like, crazy as shit. And in the best way. Yeah. No, I love the guy. I'm going camping with him uh, later this summer. Nice. Are you a snowboarder, skier? Uh, I snowboarded for like, I don't know, maybe like 12 or 13 years and then uh, started skiing. I got a little, I got at the point with snowboarding where I was like pretty good and couldn't really get any better. So I started skiing instead. I've gone snowboarding a few times and it's funny. I lived in South Carolina when I got into snowboarding. So we'd have to, yeah. <laughs> not, a gr- not a great not, place, right? <laughs> not a place for snowboarding, so we'd have to drive to North Carolina. Oh, yeah. They do have mountains there, yeah. don't they? Yeah, North Carolina is totally different. Yeah. And it's fantastic yeah. because I remember going one day, it hit like 60 degrees. So I'm basically wearing like a, t- like a thermal with just like a t-shirt over it and, you know, like my, my waterproof pants. The sun's out. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Of course, I suck at snowboarding the first time I go. My friend didn't want to ride the lift with me. I'm like, come on, it'll, it'll be fine. How bad can it be? As yeah. I tumbled down the off-ramp and take him with me. Yeah, of course. And then I, you know, just kept sliding off to the side toward the trees on my first trip down the mountain. Yeah. Until I took a lesson, and then I was fine. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was able to control it. my direction after that. Yeah. So uh, what got you interested in distilling? Because uh, it's, a, it's a fucking blast, I'll tell you that. Hey, <laughs> uh... I, uh so after I came back from Colorado, I worked at uh, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. which is over in Rensselaer. Uh, and what they do there is they... What were you doing there? It's a... Uh, manufacturing. Okay. It was a BPS. Shout out to all the BPSs. You guys are killing it. Yeah, so I was there uh, working in manufacturing. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels, actually, between what they do and what distilling is. Uh, they essentially grow big cultures of of cells that overproduce a medicinal protein and then distill that one protein out of the cell material. It's a lot more complicated than distilling alcohol. You figure we've been distilling alcohol. I think the first guy to do it was in like the 1100s. And he's actually uh, an Arabic guy. He's like he's like the Arab, Arabic uh, Leonardo da Vinci almost. Really? Yeah, and he was based out of Baghdad. They had like a huge university there. And I think he's the first recorded person to distill alcohol. Interesting. Yeah, I can't remember his name, but yeah, he's like a... He was a genius who figured out how to distill alcohol. It's funny, too, because Arabs, uh, you know, largely don't drink alcohol. Like, it's like a... No, I would have... Uh, yeah, definitely not what I would have predicted. Yeah. Did it in the name of science, I guess, more than a... Everything's in the name of science. Yep. For science. For science. That's why we drink. Yep. There's been a lot of breweries and things popping up brewers and things get into it with like home brewing is there like an at home distillery type kit or something i don't know how do you actually get started so so there is um outside of like bathtub or backwoods moonshine yeah that's actually the only way to do it um (laughs) yep it's illegal it's illegal both federally and on the state level to distill alcohol so you can ferment it uh you know you can ferment it as high as you want but as soon as you put it in a still it's against the law. It's not only the distillation process, but it's owning a still. It's multiple other aspects of it. Missouri is the only state that doesn't, that, that it's not illegal on the state level, but it's always illegal on the federal level. Really? Uh, 
Yeah, and it's like multiple felonies. It's like they take it, you know, very seriously. If you want to hear a good story, there's this guy, Popcorn Sutton, who was uh, a big moonshiner in Appalachia. Yeah. There's there's uh, a lot of the stuff you just said right there that uh, uh, intrigues me. Yeah. Uh, Somebody named Popcorn for one. Popcorn Sutton, yep. I think he has a documentary on YouTube. This might be something worth looking up. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, he's a hillbilly out in <laughs> Appalachia. He is. I mean, geez, he'd probably be the first to tell you. It's a really tragic story, actually. Uh, oh, I took a turn. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I don't know if you want to go there with it, but he got caught, you know, moonshining, and, uh, and that was the end of Popcorn Sutton. He's I'm, kind of a... I'm still going to look it up. At he's least kind of a hero. Spoiler. Yeah. I just don't know. It's a very sensitive subject that I don't necessarily want to bring up on a on a casual podcast. All right, no, <laughs> yeah. fair enough. Yeah. So we're talking backwoods moonshine and bathtubs and toilets full of booze here. Yep. yep. Um, some nice, uh, not toilet wine because it's more of a prison thing. Yeah, yeah. Some toilet vodka, perhaps. Toilet vodka. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a very it's very easy to build your own still, and it's pretty easy to distill, you know, at least decent tasting alcohol. So, we took a little break there, and by break I mean three days. (laughs) I was running short on time, you had some customers to tend to, and of course the last thing I ever want to do is get in the way of the business actually running, so... Took a little break over Memorial Day. How was your Memorial Day? Uh, it was good. It was good. Uh, went to a barbecue on Sunday. Pretty low key. You know, had some burgers and hot dogs. Had some beers. Nice. Yeah, really. <laughs> Nothing to write home about. You know. That's took it easy. Enjoyed the weather. Yeah, exactly. Had some drinks and food. Yep. Like any good holiday. So I did go back. I had to go back and refresh where we left off. We were actually talking about home distilling. But oh. it kind of wrapped up yeah, yeah. <laughs> on that. But uh, getting back, of course, into Oligan distilling. Yes. Uh, what's the process like to actually become a licensed distiller? Oh, it's... At uh, least in New York State. It's a lot of paperwork. I mean, geez, where did we start? We, uh, so the first thing you have to do before even being involved with New York State is we need what's called a DSP, a Distilled Spirits Permit, from the Tax and Trade Bureau which is the federal regulatory body. All right. So first you need a permit from them. And our first step, and probably the first step most people take, uh, is finding a location to uh, put on the DSP. Uh, you can't have it at you know, any home location. You need a designated, you know, you need a designated place to have the distilled spirits plant. And it can't really sh- you know, occupy the same building as like other businesses. So um, we'll talk so more. Step one. We'll uh, talk more about the building in a, in a second. So you actually had to purchase this building before you could even. Um. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a mortgage out on this building. That's curious. Yeah. Yeah. So are there different types of licenses? I believe it's based on quantity, right? Um. In New York State, so federally, it's all DSPs, distilled spirits plants. Uh, for New York State, there's really four kinds of licenses. I guess maybe five or six if you parse it out differently, but there's a class A through D license, which all, um, you know, have different different things that fall under their scope. Here at Oligan, we're a class A and a class D. So class D is kind of the one when they talk about New York distilling, you know, having a renaissance. Uh, it really came with the class D license, which requires you know, 75% of your mash bill to come from New York State ingredients. Uh, and it's a much cheaper and easier to obtain license. And it comes with, you know, the benefits. We can run a tasting room. Uh, we can sell merchandise out of the tasting room. Yep. Uh, I can serve drinks. So they've done a lot of stuff like that. Uh, the Class A license is a more generic. You can use anything for your mash bill. But it doesn't allow you to run a tasting room in the same way, you know, so there's different stipulations. So it's kind Uh, of definitely incentive filled to do the class D. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, you know, it ties into the, I love New York and like New York agriculture. Uh, You know, governor Cuomo uh, has actually been done a lot to like support that, you know, as has, you know, the New York state legislator, which is cool. You know, it makes sense. I mean, it's all, all New York industry. You know, we have, we have a fair amount of agriculture here and, you know, it's really nice that uh, we're incentivized to support them, to support our farmers. 
So where are you pulling some of your ingredients from? We get our corn from Against the Grain Farms in Scattercoke. All right, yeah. It's grown by Alan Henderson. He's a great guy, really, really beautiful farm, really awesome operation he's doing. Uh, you know, it's all organic, uh, and he's trying to move into, you know, the brewing and distilling industries. So we buy corn from him. We got our malt from, like, kind of a large broker. It is all New York sourced, but they they sell it out of uh, Ticonderoga, I believe. So it's really? unclear exactly which farms our malted barley came from. But we're about to be done with that. Uh, we're about to use up the rest of the barley we bought from them, and we're going to source it locally. Nice. Um, yeah. There's actually a malt house, I think, within like five miles of our location in Latham. Oh, wow. Is there really? Yeah. Uh, they're not growing it, but they're malting it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. They came, they were trying to sell us stuff, and I was like, we don't really <laughs> need it yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Yeah. I was actually, I didn't know a lot about distilleries in general uh, before actually talking to you guys and setting up this whole interview and stuff. Yeah. But I was actually doing a little research on distilleries in New York, and I didn't know this, but apparently New York... For the last, last few years, at least, has been the second has had the second largest amount of distilleries. Yep. I think only second to California. Yeah. So I believe California has the most. Then Washington State is either second or third. Um, yeah. And I've actually so I went on a, a tour of, of some like Northwest distilleries. Um, I went out to Butte, Montana, where they built our still to check out their fabrication plant, and drove from Butte all the way to Seattle and stopped at distilleries along the way. Nice. Um, Sounds like a fun road trip. Yeah, yeah. So Washington, it was really, it was really neat because they seem like it's like a total Wild West attitude towards <laughs> distilleries. Uh, <laughs> New York distilleries, I've, I really, actually, I don't think I've met, I've never been to a New York distillery that I was, you know, less than impressed with, honestly. Mm -hmm. they're, they're all, you know, reasonably professional, you know, they look like safe, you know, well put together, you know, little factories because it's essentially what they are. You know, it's almost yeah. like an artisan factory. Um, and compared to Washington State, I mean, there's you know handmade stills in the back of liquor stores. Is there like, really? Yeah, really. Ritzville, Washington. Yeah, you know, there was there was a guy I don't even remember. Maybe like Spokane or something. And it was a it was like a, a freaking handmade still that he was like rectifying alcohol, like high proof alcohol. And That's I'm like, fantastic. That's so dangerous, man. Like, I gotta try. Oh man, I'd have to yeah. try it just. After I, I still that. have a lot of the liquors I bought there. You know, they're sitting in my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> what was interesting, obviously, distilleries have popped up more so over the last few years in New York. I think uh, the numbers I could find, though, were on a report based around the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. Yep. I think New York was listed with 123, while California had 148. Obviously, those numbers, I'm sure, have gone up now since that was about a year ago. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so who knows what they were by the end of 2018. But yep. what do you think New York's doing right? Um well, as I kind of said earlier, you know, they've uh, incentivized the Class D license pretty strongly, where, like, you, we're allowed to have a, many more revenue streams than just the, you know, selling bulk alcohol or selling bottles of alcohol. You know, we can sell our bottles out of our tasting room, but we can also serve drinks, you know, mm -hmm. so it's a bar that's almost like an entirely different business than manufacturing alcohol. And at the same time, it's kind of key absolutely absolutely it's you know it gets people in the door um the margins are better on on drinks but you know it gets people in the door and it, it just brings us attention that you know we really need it's really a marketing a marketing game so much of alcohol is just sales and marketing you know you can yeah. have the best product in the world if no one knows about it it, it doesn't matter by the way we do have the best vodka uh, <laughs> in new york state at least and there's going to be a competition in June. Is there? Take a sip with Trip. Yeah, it's uh, so it's Tell like me a, about the competition. So it's a Troy uh, like rehabilitation uh, charity. I forget. It's mid-June. It's called Take a Sip with Trip. And we're actually going to be in a vodka competition uh, against Tommy Rotter and uh, Harvest Spirits. Nice. Which are two other New York distilleries. I'll so. have to come check this out. Yeah, yeah. Three vodkas. I think, I think we're going to do really well. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get at least bronze, right? There you go. Yeah. What do you think New York could be doing better? Do you, you know, there's obviously the, uh, there's always little things that could be tweaked, but yep, yep. A, a big a big problem is uh, 
you know, we have to send in monthly tax forms that are all handwritten, um, and we send physical checks, and it just it just makes it a lot easier to make mistakes. Um, so, yeah, it does seem like a lot of uh, unnecessary physical yeah. paperwork that needs to give you. Yep, exactly, exactly, and it's just you know it's just a, a excess burden that they could avoid. Man, their website is all messed. They just updated their website and. They never removed any of the dead links from Google. So you'll search for stuff on Google and you'll just get nothing but dead links. That's fantastic. So that could really help. You know, they also, I think, need to train their their staff, uh, their call-in staff better because, mm-hmm. you know, I've gotten contradictory answers from calling them, as have, you know, a lot of other people I've talked to. And that's, it's, it's really not fair because the burden is on us to, you know, follow the law and win. The regulatory agent is telling us different things. You know, it's just, it really is just unnecessarily difficult. Um, no, the last thing you want in that scenario is any kind of confusion. Exactly. Well, and it's frustrating because it falls on us if there is confusion. Yeah. You know, so. They're, I mean, they, they've been doing mostly a good job, though. I don't, we haven't had any actual, you know, issues. Uh, knock on wood, but I don't, <laughs> I don't think we would. You know, we, we really are in compliance, you know. Uh, you mentioned you still came from Montana, and you were kind enough to show it to me the last time I was here, and that thing is pretty impressive looking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's really, it's really quite a showpiece. I mean, it's a... Uh, it's definitely shiny. A lot of copper. A lot of copper. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's three, it's three 18-foot-tall columns. Uh, it's actually only jacketed in copper, which is interesting. It's, it's actually steel with a copper jacket. All right. Um, Traditionally, uh, stills are made completely out of copper, but you know, with our still, that's not super necessary. The copper, so really, the uh, copper is just there for show. It's just there for you show. You polish it; it looks nice and shiny. Yep, it's very impressive. Yeah, it's very impressive. Yeah, that's you know, kind of the point. Um, it definitely adds a, a kind of like air of like legitimacy to our operation. I think, you know, people are like, oh yeah, like you're making vodka, whatever. You know, take them in the back room, and they're like, kind of understand a little more that we're not. You know, just some some guys. One of those shops with a backwoods machine in Washington. There. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. We're not running a homemade still out of a, out of our back room. How much are you able to get out of it? Well, it's an interesting thing because you know, uh, it kind of works on different principles than other stills. It's a continuous still rather than a batch still, meaning we continuously feed fermented liquid into it, and we get three output streams. It. When you distill alcohol, you know, you, you essentially get three different, like, streams of alcohol. You know, I'm sure people listening to this have heard of, uh, you know, you have the heads, which is the first stuff that comes off the still. You have the hearts, which is what you want to collect. And then the tails is the last stuff that comes off the still. All right. um, and that's all based on the boiling temperature of the different, like, volatile liquids. So in traditional stills, you have to separate that based on temperature and, you know, flavor and, and, you know, smell, but ours continuously separates all three of those and we can run it 24 seven if we have liquid to feed into it. Nice. Um, so in terms of quantity, honestly, if we ran it 24 seven, we could put out something like, it's like 300,000 gallons of 190 proof alcohol Holy over the crap. course of a year. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially you know, as much alcohol as the capital region could drink. Um, <laughs> yeah. sounds like a challenge. Yeah. You know, we need a, we need a three shifts to, to be able to run that. <laughs> Just set up a cot right in the back room with the still. Oh uh, yeah. Just... Yeah. There's been talk of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the building. We mentioned the building earlier and needing to purchase a place before being able to get a license. Yep. It was an old budget rent a car building, right? Yes, it was. Yep. How long was it empty before you found it and took over? I so it's unclear. It was it was, it was never a while, completely I know. empty. There was one guy working out of here. I think it was uh, Mike Murphy, if I remember correctly. I haven't spoken to him in several years, but uh, yeah. So they built a, a rent-a-car office next to the airport, you know, so you can rent cars from it. And the airport changed the rules, so the cars had to be kept on airport property. So the building was built in 1994, I believe, and almost immediately after, it fell into disuse. Uh, <laughs> and it was essentially, there was one guy working out of here, and it was, it was a total shithole. I mean, 
It looks great. Pardon my French. Yeah, we did a complete retrofit on it. Knocked down like four walls, I guess. We knocked down in the production room, actually. There was like a a 12 foot tall block wall that we knocked down with sledgehammers. Yeah, that was pretty Nice way to take out some aggression. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. It was really fun, actually. Seems like the only fun part of a home type makeover. Yeah, yeah, the demolition's always fun, and then, you know, trying to put it back together. Then you have to do the real work. But I mean, I wish I had documented it better because I can't describe. Like, we filled up, like, two 20 foot dumpsters and then a 10 foot dumpster just with, like, shit we took out of this building. Wow. I mean, it was filthy, it was cluttered, you know. Everything's been repainted. Uh, you know, the floors have been redone. The ceiling was raised at one point. Was it really? Yeah, to fit the still in. If you look, you can. It's pretty obviously where it is. Uh, I was gonna. I mean, uh, I did notice it was tall. I didn't think that the ceiling would have to be raised to get yeah, it in. No, you can see it. It's where it. You know, it's, it's super obvious. It used to be a flat ceiling, and now it's not. Uh, yeah, it gave us a really cool roof line too. Like, if you ever can get a good look at the roof, it's really fun. I'll have to take a peek on my uh, way out. You know, because it's all, it's all kind of curved on this side, and then it's, like, kind of tiered on the other side. I assume you were able to bring that in in pieces and set it up vertically. Yeah, so Headframe uh, Manufacturing, who made the still, they brought it out, disassembled on a flatbed truck, and then flew some guys out here to assemble it. Oh, wow. and, uh, Yeah, and to train us on it. So we had, like, 40 hours of training when it was installed. Oh, that was a whole story. That was a whole story. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't tell it on the radio. We'll leave it at that. All right. Uh, more importantly, whose idea was the ping pong table behind me? Uh, we actually just fell into it. Uh, we used to play a lot on that table back when I was at Regeneron. So I was working what we called fifth shift at Regeneron, which was we were working overnights on weekends. So it became, you know, a pretty insular group because it's like the only friends you had were your coworkers because we're working 12-hour shifts every like Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. Oh, man. Um, so Mike, um, one of the co-owners, had that in his backyard, and he moved recently. He moved uh, beginning of the year, I think in January, had nowhere to put his ping pong table, so we just kind of fell into it. Nice. Yeah. Nothing yeah, like everything, a- almost everything in here was free, actually. Everything decorating this uh, That's space. That's awesome. Yeah, except like the bar stools and, and tables. Best kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's great. We just kind of fell into everything. I mean, the pictures, the dartboard, you know, the wine rack, the barrel, all free. The plant, the plant <laughs> over there. Yeah. You got to have a good just, free, you got to have a good free plant around. It, it was all gifts. You nice. Know, thank you so much to all our friends and family, you know, for, for their support. So the distillery has been up and running technically a little over the year. I know the tasting room's only been open a few months. Like you yep. mentioned, a grand opening party just a couple of weeks ago. Yep. How was the party? How'd it go? Oh, it was awesome. It was like a really big turnout. Yeah, it was it was nonstop. I mean, a lot of lot of friends, a lot of family, a lot of random members of the public. <laughs> a lot of friends didn't show up too, which I was like, man. So my best friend lives in Boston, and he, uh, yeah, I mean, my best friend. You know, I don't see him as much as as I'd like to, but you know, we, we go back to like middle school, and he freaking booked. Uh, tickets to a show instead of coming out. I'm just bitching. I'm just rambling. But <laughs> yeah, least, it was awesome. Was it the at least a party good, was great. Was it no, at least was, a good show that he went to? I don't. I don't even know. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was great though. I mean, it was packed. It was packed in here for a solid four hours. You know, you couldn't. You couldn't even walk. There were so many people. Nice. Yeah. So I checked out an article recently in the local paper about how you guys have actually planted some of your own pear trees, right? Yes. For upcoming. Yeah, so if you look, they're right, they're right on the driveway there, those three little trees that are kind of next to the, um, the driveway. Yeah, and we're planting, there's kind of a flat part of the lawn right above that, and we're going to plant more pear trees and get, get an orchard going. Nice. Um, yeah, and then in the back lot, we're actually going to start uh, farming, you know, to the extent that we can. We're going to try to grow, you know... Uh, it green. is a pretty big lot back there. Yeah, it is. Uh, Where they used to, of course, keep all the rental cars and everything. Yep, yep. Yeah, so it's all gravel, which is going to be interesting. You know, it has a gravel surface, but it's been overgrown for a long time. It has kind of a thin layer of, of soil on top of a gravel bed. And, yeah, we're, we're trying to figure out what kind of grains we can grow back there, you know, and try to make kind of as a sustainable uh, 
of a situation as we can. Uh, we're planting some juniper over there too. I just ordered some juniper bushes. Nice. Um, yeah, landscaping companies don't normally carry the type of juniper we need for gin. Mm-hmm. So, so I had to like order them from, uh, I think Pennsylvania, which is pretty annoying. But you know, we're getting we're gonna try to make this as sustainable a uh, a distillery as possible. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. One thing I f- forgot to mention about the still, it's the only one of its kind in New York, right? Yes. Yes, it is. And I believe the closest one is in Nantucket, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, last I heard, there was maybe like a dozen of them in the entire world, but that's probably dated. You know, I think that's a few years out of date. There's probably like, I don't know, I'd say up to 20 at this point. Mm-hmm. But there aren't many in the U.S., yeah, I know there are some in, in other countries, kind of all over the place, but they're really cool. You know, it's a really like good, like mid-scale still. A lot of distilleries, you know, most New York distilleries are kind of, you know, on the small scale side. And then you have gigantic, you know, industrial, you know, fuel alcohol facilities, uh, which is where you're getting most of your like, you know, standard vodka. Uh, yeah. Just out of these enormous monstrosities out in like Indiana and Missouri. But we're like a good mid-scale kind of system, you know. Headframe's really kind of hitting, hitting the mark with that. Nice. Yeah. No, you started out with just the vodka like we talked about. Recently started selling gin. In fact, I was here to witness the first bottle being bottled. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was cool. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of beer people, of course, about their processes and testing out recipes and things like that. But what goes into a good... I'll say gin recipe, or how do you play around with it and test it? <laughs> so, I know uh, you, our, you our kind company, of went our, in with our, like a formula, right? Yeah, yeah, we did. How different did it end up being from what you planned? Uh, we went through three different um, iterations of a formula, and what we came out with it was a little more concentrated than than the f- batch we, uh, you know, tested the test batch. Which is kind of interesting, you know. It's a it's a work in progress. I mean, it's kind of you know, part of the the thing with with craft liquor in particular is, uh, you know, it's always going to have a certain element of uh, of the unknown, I guess, of kind of you know random variation from batch to batch. Uh, you know, there's only three of us working here. We don't have the controls that you're going to see at like you know very large distilleries. So our gin, you know, we came out with three test batches and what we actually bottled is really, it's a variation on the third test batch, but it has a different flavor profile, which is kind of, which is kind of, you know, interesting lesson learned. It was our first time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a fantastic gin, you know, it's interesting because the flavor profile is the same, but it's just the notes are all heavier, you know? And what it is, you know, you kind of get gin on the front, and then it, it mellows out to like a citrus, citrus and uh, and ginger flavor towards the end of it. And it's kind of like the notes are heavier. You know, it's a London dry gin, so it's going to be like uh, similar to like Tangeray, I believe, is another very oh, popular yeah. London dry. You know, and they have that that kind of heavy botanical flavor, that you know, kind of heavier juniper flavor um, compared to like an American gin. It's going to be more floral. And next time we make gin, we're going to we're going to come out with an American gin. Um, it was something, you know, we talked about and, you know, the guy who actually developed the recipe was more in favor of the London dry. But we're going to come out with an entire line of gins and all right. you know, have all different flavor profiles. That's cool. Yeah. Have you gotten a little overindulgent with just tasting samples? Yeah. I mean, not, <laughs> not so much. I don't know. I, have a, I can hold my liquor pretty well. Uh and See, there's a reason I don't drink it that often. Yeah, yeah. You just got to drink it differently. You know, you can't drink it like water. You got to sip it is really the key. You, sh- you shouldn't be taking shots ever. Uh, <laughs> unless you know, unless you're, you're trying to get messed up. Uh, Guess it depends on what your priorities are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm not a big fan of shots. I think it's, it's more appropriate to pour a shot glass and, and sip uh, on the liquor. But yeah, I mean, whenever we're doing, whenever we're making any batch, we'll sit and, and taste it and, and sip it. You know, you can run your fingers under the the outlet where the alcohol is coming off and you kind of drip it onto your tongue. You'll see that if you're ever in a distillery and, you, you know, there's a run going on. Really? Um, 
it's I mean it's a very important part of quality control you know tasting it mm-hmm. like at the end of the day we're making a beverage yeah so the taste and aroma is very important but yeah when, when we're making a gin we're not sitting there you know knocking back shots of it you kind of wet your tongue with it you know and in- inhale a little bit it helps to you know let let the aroma out and the guy who developed it uh has a background you know he has a pretty solid background in cooking so he he understands like the flavors nice which is kind of how we got it in three in three tests you know a lot of the time people will dozens and dozens of different recipes and at some point you just got to bite the bullet you know just pick one and yeah go and as i said we're going to come out with a bunch of different gins oh, yeah. you know so can't rush everything yeah yeah, we're thinking it might, you know, the more we think about it, the more we're thinking it's going to be kind of our angle, I guess, kind of what distinguishes us is, a, you know, a variety of gins and flavored vodkas. Yeah. We're coming out with a strawberry and raspberry vodka within a, within a month. I'm about to submit the labels. Leads into my actual next question is yep. what's uh, going on? What's next from Oligan Distilling? Yes. Um, so right now we have a bunch of grape alcohol, actually. We got about 60 cases worth of uh, alcohol distilled from grapes, distilled from Concord grapes. And what we're going to do with it is cut it in half. So we'll have 30 cases of each uh, and infuse half of it with strawberries, half of it with raspberries grown from uh, local farms. And we're going to have strawberry and raspberry vodka. It should be out really soon, you know, within the month, hopefully. And it's going to be amazing. The color on it, the strawberry in particular, it's like hot pink. I'm curious and to it see t- this. It tastes now. like Jolly Ranchers. It's going to be. It's going to be great. Super intrigued. Yep. It's going to be gluten free too. You know, it's all fruit based, which is kind of interesting. It's like a very high proofed brandy, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But we can call it vodka because it's. Uh, we got it to that 190 proof uh, target. There you go. Oh. So can people find? the current vodka engine out in places or is it mainly just here in the tap uh, yeah, you can, at the distillery for now you can come to the tasting room uh we're open wednesday three to seven uh wednesday to saturday three to seven and we're also at empire wine and liquor and then madison wine and liquor which is on madison avenue in albany yeah we're going to be talking to all-star and exit nine soon yep. um all-star is huge yeah yeah i i think it'll it'll be relatively easy to get to get our foot in the door there what's the process like you just go in there and tell them who you are and what you make so i haven't done uh sales to liquor stores i've tried to make some sales to restaurants but i think we're kind of hitting the wrong target restaurants yeah you go in we have a sales sheet you know we'll have a bottle just go in ask for the bar manager you know introduce yourself tell Mm -hmm. them what you're doing you know, see if they're see if they have any interest. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's sales. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked a sales job, but it's kind of you were, uh, were kind of like cold calling people. Yeah, uh, I've worked. Uh, I had an internship at a PR firm that was kind of the same thing, calling some local news stations trying to promote something. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I mean, honestly, you can, you know, you can tell within the first like thirty seconds whether whether it's, yep. whether it's worth pursuing. So we try not to waste anyone's time. You know, keep it professional. Uh, <laughs> And you're also part of what's called the Capital Craft Beverage Trail. Yes. So for, and what people may or may not know about it, it's basically the Capital Craft Beverage Trail, which I did jot down some notes here, because this is the first time I've gotten one of the booklets myself. Uh, The Beverage Trail was formed back in 2015, basically promotes craft and farm-based beverage producers here in the capital region of New York State. As a, one of the people in there, how do you get involved? So we were in the Passport last year, which was the, the inaugural launch of it. It was the first time they, they had it was last year. I don't, I don't particularly remember, honestly. I think I was at Albany Distilling for some reason, and they told me I should come to a meeting of the Craft Beverage Trail. So I went, and then we, uh, you know, you pay your dues, membership. We have monthly meetings. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So it's not just the Passport. We also have... Uh, drinking events june 14th we're having drink saratoga oh i believe it's at the saratoga auto museum um it is more than just a yes the passport yep yep which is it's which is basically a fun drinking tour that highlights a lot of real great places around the capital region not every place is listed there are certain places i think it lists about 55 places yeah 
Yeah, I mean, it's people. We, we, you have to pay a dues membership to get in the passport. We're not. We're not trying to get every. Well, we are. We are trying to get every <laughs> alcohol producer in the in the region. But you know, if you're not paying your dues, we're not going to put people on the passport. Yeah. So they just kind of generally work to to promote you know local capital region uh, beverage producers. It's a cool group, yeah. And of course, I have two out of, I think, 46 stamped, and it's the end of May, so I have a lot of drinking to make up and places to visit as I'm five months behind. (laughs) And for anyone that's interested, you can pick up the passports basically at the Discover Albany offices downtown or any of the places that are actually on the passport, including Oligan Distilling. So to wrap things up, I thought it'd be fun to finish up with... I started with a random question. I thought it'd be fun yep. to wrap it up with another one or two, yep. as I call the questions of randomness. So you're at a bar. It's karaoke night. Yep. What's your go-to song? Oh, geez, for karaoke night. I don't know. I've been singing uh, uh, the song Lost Highway by Hank Williams uh, All right. today. It's kind of been, <laughs> been uh, in, in my head, you know. I'd say that, yeah. If I was, if I went to karaoke right now, that would be the song I would, I would pick. Oh man, I uh, used to go with a buddy all the time back in the old college days. We'd of course sing "Boys to Men," "I'll Make Love to You." Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I know that. I only know oh, "Boys to Men" through uh, "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." <laughs> I don't know if you watched that. Yeah. <laughs> Motown Philly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, and there was one time where we sang "Madonna's Like a Prayer." That was a fun time. Nice. Booze brings out the fun. Yeah. It All right. Brings out the confidence, you know. It does. Sing, it really sing in front of a crowd. Sadly does. Yeah. How long do you think you'd last in a zombie apocalypse? Uh. And I suppose more importantly, what would be your weapon of choice? Yeah. My weapon of choice would probably be a gun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as probably everyone should be because they're very effective at uh... What happens when you run out of bullets? <laughs> Make your own. You can make gunpowder out of, like, saltpeter, you know, potassium nitrate and sulfur and charcoal. Then you gotta go find ingredients. <laughs> gotta go find ingredients. I mean, you could probably find it fairly easy. You're going out into the zombie hordes. Go find some to go find cash. <laughs> See, we're lucky because we live close enough to the wilderness, you know. If you could get north before ED7 is totally backed up, you'd probably have a good shot of it. And frankly... If it's a zombie apocalypse, are there really that many drivers? I don't know. That's true. I don't know. I guess it matters at what point, you know, how fast it happens, I guess. Obviously, you got to go for the head. So I'm thinking more <laughs> along the lines of a katana, sharp sword. Uh, I want something with a little distance, but I need something sharp to just take the head off in one swing. Well, you know, I could probably use uh, fire pretty well, too. You know, with all, the, with all the, the raw alcohol we have. Yeah. Oh, good point. I know. It just burn you're them probably out. In a, you're probably yeah. in a good location. Just yeah. got to board up the windows. Yeah. Honestly, uh, a few years from now, once we get the farm going, I think uh, <laughs> could probably survive indefinitely, just honestly. Just going to go off the map. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not a very defensible position, but... You know, we could we could form some kind of barrier of, of fire. You there know, is a prison down the road, and I think there is the a prisoners prison. prisoners get out and they see booze. Yeah, yeah. It might draw the prisoners. Here's the thing: you got to figure how do you get them on your side. That's you know? true. I'll be like, I'm the only one who knows how to run this. All right, you guys got to you got to keep you got to respect. You got to keep the distillery guy around. <laughs> right. So now you're just a hostage. No, yeah. You know, I heard a story. My sister has spent a lot of time in the Congo, in the Democratic People's Republic of the Congo. Super safe place? Yeah. You know, there was a brewery in Kinshasa, the capital. I think it was Kinshasa, in one of the big cities. And it was essentially the only building that wasn't destroyed by, by like, warfare that rolled through. That sounds about right. Yeah, because both sides, you know, wanted to drink beer. And they knew if they destroyed the brewery, no one, no one would get no beer. No one can drink beer. Yeah, I know. You know, peace, peace through alcohol, right? As ridiculous as it sounds, it's a legitimate <laughs> yeah, thing. I guess so. I guess so. It's a, it's a hot commodity. <laughs> you know? So I think we'll wrap it up on that note. That's going to do it for this episode of Stories from a Bar. A big thank you to my guest, Sean O'Keefe, for joining me. Yes. Sean, thanks for having me in. I appreciate you you hanging out, having some drinks, sharing some great stories about the distillery and other randomness. Mm -hmm. Big thank you for 
to everyone out there checking out the show. You can find Stories from a Bar on Facebook and follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, at StoriesFAB. Be sure to check out Oligan Distilling on Facebook, Instagram to keep tabs on all the cool stuff they have going on. Lots of vodka's coming, lots of gin's coming. Yep. Keep the booze pouring. And the single malt whiskey. And the single malt whiskey. Oh, by the way, who's your Instagram guy that keeps posting, seems to have the cushy part of the job where he's posting pictures of distilleries in other countries and foreign (laughs) booze? It's our, our, our Seems like a tough job, but someone has to do it, of course. Right. It's uh, our master ginsmith, uh, Sam Garrison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's been to Iceland this year. He's been to Scotland. I'm trying to think. And he you've went been to here? Cuba. He went to Cuba this year. Did I don't he really? Think, I don't think he even took pictures of that. that yeah, I've uh, been here. You know, I've been <laughs> making money. He's been spending just, it, right? <laughs> just out lollygagging? Yeah, yeah. He's and, only a part owner, though. Yeah, uh, he's, uh, yeah. No excuse. Yeah. He's got that, that uh, Regeneron pharmaceutical you know, lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you can find the show on iTunes, Podbeam, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. Had a little bit of a brain fart, even though I'm looking right at my words I'm trying to say. And, of course, YouTube. So be sure to subscribe. Even more importantly, leave a fantastic review, spread the word, and come to Oligan Distilling for some booze. Anything else you want to throw in there? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So until next time, cheers. Cheers.